Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So you know what song has been in my head all day today, really randomly. It hasn't even sort of crossed my mind in about four years, but uh, on the way here to Derby. What? This is Mad Stark's on Kerrang Radio. That was such good fun doing that. The Lost Alone harmonised jingle. What song was that? Creatures, yeah. It was was was... a riff on that? I thought you just made it up exclusively no it it was it was before that came out but it was the song creatures from our second album that we just sang sang the was changed the words to be stocks from 7 p.m till tune in then did we do all that in conjunction with bertel fm no oh no actually yeah maybe that i think you did just make it up because you've done like a live session for me sorry yeah it's two different things we've done one thing i think where we did the song creatures but changed the words to something to do with you but yeah that doesn't sound like that so yeah that that was just a freestyle yeah, my friend was, it's absolutely freestyled uh some matt stocks love it's easy to do do you want to set the scene for us so i'm here with Stephen battelle it is the 19th of december you'll be hearing this on christmas day because nothing is more christmas than Stephen battelle i'm here at steve's new house and i'm in what can only be described as the creative hub right yeah this I is think... the heartbeat of all battelle output yeah it is now um it's kind of weirdly when I, I don't really think about it until you just said it, but it's almost like I've, it's half studio and half transferred my 
childhood bedroom. Museum. Like a, it's like I've got, obviously people can't see us, but I've got... Well, I want you to set the scene. If we start okay, so, with the just magnificent queen display there, and then we could maybe go clockwise around the room. Yeah, so just in case anyone's concerned artifacts. that I've got uh, Her Royal Highness obsession it's it's queen the band yeah and, yeah 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 um yeah so so yeah we're sitting here and we've basically got two cabinets full of all my well my selected key pieces of my queen collection which have been you know started off with vinyl so are all I, those records original pressings they look like it yeah so in in here matt what you're talking is if you actually look there's not actually that much vinyl all my vinyls downstairs because i'm not one of these people that I, I play my vinyl. But yeah, they're not in, there to be hung on the wall. Yeah, as a, although having said a that, there's a few vinyls in there, like shaped picture disc of Breakthrough from the Miracle album. Kind of like real super rare things. I do get out and play. I kind of uh, move them around a bit. Like, you know, they'll go down and, you know, I'm, it's almost like even though I'm the only person who sees it, I curate it like a, a normal <laughs> museum would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you have to yeah. refresh it every... Seasonal looks. Yeah, so... Um, I think, I hope I'm getting um, News of the World box set off my parents. So I'll probably do a News of the World, nice. uh, more of a kind of situation there. But anyway, yeah, so this is a lot of my Queen stuff. And, and, and genuinely, some of the stuff in here accidentally now is worth a lot because obviously stuff goes up. But Tour t-shirts, you've yeah, got a few and, of those. Well, all of them, I've got to do a shout out here to a lady called Kaz um, who got into Lost Alone Um and turned out worked for Queen for like their entire career, and jackpot! Like literally, <laughs> she's she's such a nice lady. She's become a great friend, um, and she hasn't become a great friend just because she gives me stuff because she was already a great friend. But she will just at the Lost Alone shows, she would turn up and just be like, "I've got something for you," and I'd be like, "Oh my god!" It's like a T-shirt that I've only ever seen like in pictures. So she's given me all that stuff. Um, it's really nice of her. So um, yeah, things like the tour jumper and like the the seventies t shirts are like really hard to come by and very expensive. I yeah, imagine. Yeah, exactly. Something that I can't justify buying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I like to put my money. Into Do you ever wear music. them? Do you ever put them on and I, dance like around? I said, yeah, like I said about my um, refreshing of the um, all these do get worn, um, but um, special occasions. Well, not. I've got three or four like in my bedroom that I will wear and they're equally as rare as that. But like I said about the vinyl, I'm, I'm not one of those people that, you know, like... It's not there just to be looked at, it's there to be enjoyed. Yeah, and, and also like, like David Beckham apparently only wears a pair of trainers once. Like, I know he gives, then he gives them away, to charity, but like I I like to wear and, enjoy and make it part of you. Mm -hmm. So all those t-shirts have been worn. Um but um, then they go into my little display. So so that's Queen. Then at the top, what's the thing on the right? Obviously on the left, we've got we've the... We've got uh, the Millennium Falcon yeah. and it is just escaping, I like to think, from <laughs> um, Panthro. Oh, that's what that is. Thundercats. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, obviously <laughs> the thing Combining is, universes. Yeah, it is a, it's a combined universe there. I guess technically the Millennium Falcon is not escaping because they're both goodies. Uh, if we had Mumra, the ever living there, then it would be like a, a um, then we'd have a face off. Yeah, face off. But there is a stormtrooper just there who is kind of attacking them all, and Luke and Han Solo are kind of 
uh, trying to. I love know. all the thought that goes into this. There's, there's a you're, lot unique, of you're a unique dude in that way, Steve. <laughs> Anyone else would just, they'd probably have all this stuff, but there wouldn't be scenarios involved you in have the placement to, it, of the them. The thing is, one of my best friends, Jimmy, who I believe you know, who texted me for years and yeah, yeah, yeah. built all my custom Star Wars pedals, he wouldn't allow me to not put thought into it. He, his. Even though you are prim- primarily a music podcast, you need to go to his house and just podcast his Star Wars collection because it is absolutely next level. Do like, you know what's going to really disappoint you, though? You don't like Star Wars? I don't like Star Wars at well, all. it doesn't disappoint me because I'm not one of these people that have to make somebody like what I like. Right. Um, Does that surprise you? In a way, no. Yeah, it it doesn't surprise me, actually, because we've never gone deep about Star Wars. Ever. Oh, Matt's I'm just a bit dropping of biscuit. biscuit all over That's you. That's fine. There's, there's um, a hoover twice a day in here. <laughs> You're going to it, have to. It's a, um, Sorry, buddy. it's a kind of songwriting thing, <laughs> like hoovering, like working and then... A refresh. Yeah. I, I always put headphones on and listen to what I've done and then hoover. But anyway, we're, we're going around the room. But um, yeah, you DVDs. Should, yeah. That area there is... Um, it's an area that's diminishing fast because although I hold massive, um, like, sentimentality for vinyl, apart from box sets on C- uh, DVD, I'm actually replacing all my DVDs on digital because I'm a travelling guy like yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, lo- I find it equally as enjoyable to have a big iTunes collection of films as I do to so that that section there I'm going to keep my X-Files box set and my West Wing that I love but the individual DVDs are now either Charity Shop or Alan who was in my band who maintains he will never go digital really he is committed can you you digitise DVDs if you buy a DVD now right you get a code to okay. download it, right, right, right. Which is just—I haven't bought a DVD in well, years. Well, so I didn't exactly, even know that. yeah. I, I buy, I always buy stuff. As you know, I'm not somebody. You know, we discuss this. I will never illegally download things, even if I have no money. I, I buy things because I think it's right. I but sold I, my DVD collection to Joel, my good friend. Did you? you know, yeah. When I, I, when, I, when I lost yeah. my job on Kerrang, I was like, I need some money. I don't know what I'm going to do in the immediate aftermath of that. So I ended up selling my DVD collection to him. Well, at least you sold it to someone you know, so yeah, you can yeah, always. Yeah. You know, if, buy the, back. if the riches come in, you can you can selectively buy back what you want. Um, but yeah, so that's a weird section because a lot of the time the door kind of covers it, so I don't even know it's there. Um, but um, and then, I mean, does the exercise bike ever get used, or is that for show? Four times a day. Four to, fact, four times a day. A an alarm might go off during this, which saying I'm, you need to get on. Yeah, when briefly to to pivot off what we're saying, it's essential. Because I came off tour and you've seen what my shows were like, that was my, I mean, I've never exercised in my life. That was my exercise. Now that I'm making solo records and writing for the people, I sit, if I'm not not in another studio or traveling, I sit here all day and spend 90% of my life on my own sat here. I have to have an alarm that goes off and goes, do your workout. And it'll either be, I've got a bike, I'll ride around a park I've got near here, or I'll do that, or I'll do both. So four times a day, um, my alarm goes off and whatever I'm in the middle of, I just go on there and I put a podcast on and I do it for the length of a podcast. Even if I'm not doing it like, I'm always people like going, oh my God, it's like, I'm going so intense, but just the, and it, it's also for the mind. Of course. I'm sure you know that. Like it, The difference in my day, if I walk straight out of bed and sit down here and write, so if I walk out, go on there, and then write, there's just a, a fresh perspective of, you know, just your mental health feels better for, and it, and it also 
definitely feels better if you can commit to go outside and do it and do the, the, the fresh air yeah. is kind of better but I can't be bothered to do that four times a day but I can easily I love listening to podcasts or watch like MSNBC because I love just watching them react to every day now the new Trump thing so it's, for me it's either West Wing Weekly Life in the Stocks hey. um, or uh, MSNBC on there and then it sometimes turns into listening to the work I'm actually doing you know Let's sidetrack a second from the uh, tour of the room because I want to ask you, uh, I also spend a lot of time on my own and when you are freelance and when you're very much a solo artist, you know, I am as much in the sense that you are, you know, this is a very much a solo endeavour other than these moments where I sit down and talk with someone else and it can be hard to not get trapped in your own mind and be broken and depressed and do you know what I mean? Do you find that? Dude, seriously, like... Like within an hour of any given day, I can go from being so euphoric and excited about what I'm doing and not just what I'm doing, what I'm doing that second in maybe the song I've written or the the future that I know is coming to being like just <coughs> unable to even think that anything good's happening. That and and maybe I've been a bit almost selfish in thinking it's a songwriter's thing because maybe it is just the the freelance stroke on your own thing. I think I do think a lot of it is not just the songwriter, but the creative. I spend all my time thinking, writing lyrics, and, and you, you spend all your time Stuck delving. inside your own head, yeah, essentially. You, you, yeah. And, and it's almost like, I mean, I, I always hate to call this a job, but I guess it technically is because... Other than my solo stuff, which is just a, a need, solo stuff stroke, you know, when I was in the band and everything. But even on like like everything I'm doing is just like like I can't just. And you know this about me previously. Nothing's changed since we last spoke in Lost Alone. This is twenty four seven. I don't have a choice. Like it, and that is, I don't have a choice in the excitement I get in at three a.m. when I have to be writing. Uh, or at 3am where like I'm just like in a world of doom thinking like what what's the point in everything it, you know what I mean like it's and it, 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 talking about it is so odd because like you said I actually think you're luckier than me and I'm probably sounds patronising because when anyone's in any kind of state of like that it's not very nice but you actually get to do this yeah engage and interact yeah whereas I would love to if if part of my songwriting was that more collaborative every day I was talking to someone about everything I'd love that and I do do you know probably get onto this but I've started doing a lot of songwriting for other people and I I do do that but also a lot of my songwriting for other people I'm one of those guys that I write it all here on my own and then it goes to other people and they have the fun of doing the collaborative thing because I'm not a great collaborator I tend to write stuff send it and then go cool do what you want and that's what people like about the way I do things. I'm getting more into doing it with people because I'd like to. I'd like to be able to be a diplomat. <laughs> I've just never been yeah, very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. just, I, I, you know, I, I just, I just liked. I, I think it's. It's nothing against the other people. I'm not very good at writing with people. I'm getting better at it, but uh, I'm. 
at my best when it's just like you know you're the mad scientist yeah in I the just, lab yeah it's cooking up yeah, so, on your own yeah so yeah that was a bit of a, a, a pivot away so there are no pivots saying. there are no pivots that's, that's true it's um yeah i mean this year for me is this podcast is pretty much i mean people do say it and it can sound melodramatic but it's true it saved my life like i would have gone off the deep end and i've peered over several yeah, yeah, times yeah. this year it's been a struggle and you know when you're out there on your own as you know especially after you know lost alone finished and ended yeah. that was your whole life up till that point absolutely remember like even though you know me and mark did other bands but it was the death of mine and mark's 11 year old dreams yeah like and you know, loads of bands split up and loads of bands do it. I'm not taking it away from anybody else, but, you know, there's probably loads of bands that are as passionate as we were and, and stuff like this. But I I think it was, we're definitely in the minority where it was a, from the age of 11, we were like as extreme as I still am now. And me and Mark, there's not many bands that the same people are. We were just together for that entire time. Um, so it was the death of that as well of everything since you know before 11 I was a child who liked football and Michael Jackson and Star Wars and Star Wars yeah, yeah. and and things like that so it, it was like my thing so the the way I dealt with it was before the final shows I'd the, the second we knew it was gonna stop I just did what I do which was I was making my solo album and I was flying off and staying in Switzerland and writing songs and getting all introspective and so like you know and then the day after the final show I flew to Switzerland it sounds like I go to Switzerland a lot but it's just you do I'm going tomorrow in fact, <laughs> is, well in fact when this podcast is out I will just be got there. back oh, yeah, just yeah got I back, get yeah. back on Christmas Eve but um, yeah so I'm just digressing loads here but the, I have I, I don't know if there's still a point where I might just Break down because I was going to ask you: Do you stopped. process any of it? I, I know you process some of it through your songwriting, but do you ever sit down and think about what's happened and try and take stock and think about how you'll personally take my stock? Forward? I never. Um, or do you just throw yourself into creativity? And I work have not allowed myself way? to. When we came off stage, and, and it's awful. This will be like I don't do this. This is why it's weird. I'm just doing it just for you. Because I don't allow myself to look back on anything. Whenever people bring stuff up, I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the next thing. But I will just tell you that the only thing that, the only breakdown, the only like massive emotional thing that happened, it's just such an odd thing to happen as like three guys. And, and this you, is three and, years ago today. Three years ago today, which is even more weird because we didn't plan that to be today, did we? No. It was like, I realised it. The only day we could do. Yeah. Um, you, were, you were at the show, so you might have seen this, but the three of us, didn't know this was happening, but we came off stage, went to the dressing room, each, I had a dressing gown overhead, and we were just each in tears. And we didn't know that we were all just cr sat crying. And then um, we had to do Kerrang things and like interviews, but I don't, I think it was Jimmy who I mentioned earlier, he came in, he started crying. <laughs> so I was like a bunch of like cry babies, but he came in. And then when other people started trying to come in, like family and people, he just went out and just went, don't let anybody else in there. Like, they're, they're gutted. And it was because it was an awful stroke best show I've ever done. Like, and, and, and 
I don't want to talk too much about this because I hate talking about it, but it was that moment of I struggled through the whole gig to keep it together. But it was when during a song called Requiem, because I always keep my eyes closed when I sing, and I open my eyes, and the entire audience were holding signs that just said "thank you," and it just ruined me. <laughs> it was just so bad, like so beautiful. But it, and, and that was, and then like we've we've mixed and have a, a record ready to release of that gig. Um, we've just, as always, is the kind of the mark of our band. We still have yet to receive the footage three years later. We won't go into that because it's all business stuff. But we've the, we've the mixed audio. And the only problem with it, and I, I just don't know where I stand on this, I would really like to go and re-sing the last few songs because it's basically, and maybe like give people the option, do you want the authentic... You've got to have authentic yeah, raw, you've got to. the authentic, he's just crying and no, that's, can't That's what people want to hear, sing. man. That's what you've got to keep. Yeah, I hate it. I mean, Of course you do. Imagine imagine trying to mix yourself crying, I know. just crying. <laughs> but um, I'd almost like to give people an alternative of like, I can actually sing. Like, do you want to... No, maybe you, you get like two versions when you buy it like here's the blubbering wreck and here's the um here's him actually hey but if you it. want polish you just listen to the studio version right that's the great thing about a live album is it captures that moment yeah so so yeah so um the reason that's not come out is partly because i want to do it with the visuals which you know and as you know as well there's a there's a plethora of like really like there's the footage you guys shot which never you know we have there's the footage of the final shows. I would like if we ever had the w- way of doing it, is for it all to become one thing, yeah, and a story told, yeah. And I think it'd almost be better than what it would have been at the time. It would be the because you know I'm not claiming we were some hugely important band to the world, but to a lot of people we were, and definitely to me we were. And the story of my band is ridiculous. Yeah, but ba- bands have stories, but you know various things happen to us. Our story is ridiculous, so. I would like that all to come under one umbrella one day and be a thing. We'll um, get it done. Yeah. I think for me, with with my side of that, and I won't go too much into it because I know that he'll be listening to this, but it caused a lot of friction in my friendship with Joel, who was the guy I was making the film with, because at that point I'd lost my job on Kerrang! And that documentary of yours that we were working on was kind of the only thing that I had. Yeah. And so my commitment to it was 200%, whereas his, understandably, was probably 50 at best yeah yeah and that was a hard lesson for me because i was like you shouldn't sometimes work creatively with your friends because it can drive you apart obviously your thing is you for many years only worked with yeah but your friends it's a very true thing you say because it can be like in a band situation your best friends but you being a band with your best mates I know some bands who don't even consider themselves friends with the band members but it's a very much a, a business thing yeah we were best mates but it also the things you go through are not the things you would have like ordinarily go through with mates yeah 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 if you want to call it like mates you know what I mean like and and I mean good and bad like you don't expect to like be being flown by Warner Brothers to LA to stay in the apartments Nirvana stayed in and record an album with 250 grand. And that is a highlight that we, the three of us can only ever share. The same thing is the opposite to that, which is the, you know, oh, there's a nice little cat outside the window. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think that cat does help. So I think it's tra- telling me don't go too far. Don't go it? too down no, the but, rabbit hole. No, but it's, it's kind of like... Fuck off, cat. You, yeah, you, you, you get to experience the absolute highs and then the things that you wouldn't probably normally... 
the things you go to your friends about to say, oh, in my job, this is a low point. You have to realise that each of you experience the low things in really different ways. I would go tunnel vision and get us out of it. Um, whereas, admittedly, like we're all very different. Like, you know, the other guys would be quite opposite to that. Um, so it's, it's just, I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say, but it's like, I think it all comes back to what we were saying. After that gig, and even before that gig, I have not, nothing has changed about how I live my life, apart from I didn't want to tour because I felt scared to tour after being a band that would only ever get full mark reviews and out of almost that weird respect. I, I didn't want to... I'd never had another drummer other than Mark ever in my life, ever. And, like, Alan is just incredible. I, I kind of was like, yeah, I want to make music, release albums, and I'll do a gig, which I did, and it sold out, and I loved it. Is that still the only show you've done? As I've a done solo? that in 2000 Trees. Right, right. And I didn't even really try and do 2000 Trees. It was often to me. I was like, oh, wicked, yeah, I'll do a festival. I've never been. Hopefully it's, I'll go next year. It's a brilliant, year. brilliant festival. Um, it was the same weekend as my now ex-girlfriend's birthday every year, so that's why I didn't get the chance to go. But well, you're now we're not together. Year. Yeah, it's perfect. I can go. Perfect, yeah. Um, <laughs> hold on, just take a sip. Take a little sip of that. Do you want a little hobnob? I've still got a no, section still got here, a there. I talk, you know how much I talk. I, I'm always the person with a table full of food because yeah, 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 a yeah. meal. As I desserts just, come I'll in, talk, Yeah, and everyone else there. is like... but. Um, yeah, 2000 Trees is fantastic. And my agent, Becky, just, just said, do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah. And I, th- I think Matt Hughes had a lot to do with it, um, who's uh, PR. Devil. Devil PR. It seems like it's curated by real uh, like fans of music who it know It really is, shit. yeah. And, and Matt's been my PR guy since Lost Alone, the, the last album, and then did my further stuff. And it's weird when he says he's been my PR guy. He just feels like a friend now. You know, like all these people, like Becky, my agent's my friend. Um, well, I think because you've been through the runner so much, everybody who works with you works with you because of a belief in yeah, yeah. you and an enjoyment of being around you and working with you. Because most people, if they weren't invested in you as a person, would have ditched you a long time oh, ago. Completely, yeah. And loads of people ditched us <laughs> at, at various times yeah. <coughs> um, during the, the three records we did. Um, but also, that just really reminded me, I can't remember if it was you who said this, but somebody, because you, you were at both our last shows, weren't you? Yeah, the London one. I did that because I think Sophie Eggleton, that blogger, yes, do you know yeah, her? Yeah, she yeah, made like yeah. a weird little video and it's like me basically doing a monologue before you come out. Do you remember that? Because I, I was... you got to remember, I purposely just haven't been able to watch any of this stuff. Right. So I was DJing before you came on and it was in the old bar flight and the decks were above the bar. Yeah, they are. So I'm like above the bar and I'm introducing you guys, but because I'm all emotional, I go on for about two minutes (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just doing this big speech and she somehow got that audio and it's looped over like an intro to one of your songs before going into like a little montage. So yeah, I was at that one and then the... Derby one the, was the, the next the, night. The reason wasn't I mentioned it? it was because, and we were talking about the people we surrounded ourselves with by the end, that he's still stuck with me. I don't know if it was you who said it, but somebody said, and I thought it was really nice in the dressing room after when everyone came up, that it was like the nicest group of music industry people that could ever be in a room together. Yeah. There was such, it was all, and it, it was such a feeling of like gutted for like that our band was ending. Which was our choice. You know, we were kind of forced into it a little bit from some business stuff, but it was still, we made that decision. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really nice that it was such a a great bunch of people with us, like, at, at the end. You know, it, yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah. like we died or something. But it did, you know, it felt like a death to me. It was a death of, 
you know, I never thought I would not be in that band. Yeah. Um, but I'm not. Do you remember the day you made the decision to call time? Was there like a Yeah, it was the moment? worst thing ever because I made the decision in London with Andy Batten and Ian Johnson from Mythophonic, who are now called 30th Century Management, who were our managers. And then they took me to see the last ever gig of Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly. Right. And during it, Andy turned to me and went, I've just realised how really bad this was because you've just decided... And you're gonna do this, and I was like, and "Yeah, you're watching I was some other guy gutted." Yeah, it was it was a brilliant gig. He's brilliant. I love that guy, Sam Duckworth. He's fantastic. And but it was horrid. Like I was I was watching what was about to happen to me. Um, yeah, and I and I, I came home and it was just me who went down there. I came home and told the guys. I was like, "Cause it, it, sorry, that makes it sound like they decided. We had a discussion where I was kind of saying this is what should happen, and I wasn't talked out of it." And that made me realise even more, it's what should happen. Yeah. Um, so I, I had to get the train back to Derby and just, you know, definitely went to bed and just, like, had a definite emotional full-on breakdown. Like, I'd, I couldn't believe that I'd made that decision. And then um, told the guys, and then none of us at all remotely wanted to do any shows after that. We didn't, we didn't want to do. We're very much a band, like... It's, it was everything we did and we did not want to get back on a stage and be like it's our final shows and we were talked into doing it we were actually leaving to go on European tour three days later so that made that we announced it I, I can't even believe some of the ridiculous decisions that were made here I think we announced <laughs> we were splitting up as we were leaving to go on tour like so we were kind of like woo one last victory yeah, off, off on tour in Europe and we've was just that headline or headline, yeah. a headline tour in Europe and we're just on the morning uh, uh, people might flag us up on this straight away I might be completely wrong yeah yeah it might have been like a few days before but in my memory we basically <coughs> went guys he, and it wasn't even I always start thinking with guys it was just a, I wrote this kind of mantra of death of the band and uh I always remember this one guy really upset me and I was dead horrible to him on the Lost Time Facebook. But he said, this isn't good enough. This isn't a correct explanation. Me and my children are really upset. And I just replied going, sorry, but I've just ended everything my life's about. Um, I, I, I was like, don't come to the gig. I was, I was, I was really angry. And I stand by it because I don't care how much it meant to him that we'd split up. Like, I'd, he, 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 he needs to understand that I just like ended my entire life well however much that band meant to anyone ultimately it meant the most to you mark and alan yeah it was like you know because that was the level of passion and dedication that you guys had as a band which was what made the band special wasn't it yeah definitely you weren't and just a group of guys just plugging in and jamming out together there was a lot more yeah and, and you know what like the, 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 just on that point as well like because i still hate if anybody, it sounds just weird, but when it, what what made that band special? It still is special. You know what I mean? Like, right, and, okay. and just as of last night, the last copy of our last album on vinyl sold, and that we've sold more vinyls of that album since we've split up than when we were a band. So I kind of, 
I have many things that I think like part of me thinks why did we split up? Why didn't in this in this new world? And it's even a new world since three years. Yeah, no, it, massively. It's a completely so, different world. On every level as well, on, which we could even sidetrack into at a later point, but not we, just the music industry, like yeah, on, social on media, interaction, culture. The, the interaction things is, are changing is the key rapidly. thing. You you could have not said we're splitting up and probably still had as much interaction on all the social medias, but we just aren't putting out any record yet. But when you're living in it and when you've toured for eight years and before that you were doing it since you were 11, you it feels like it's this epic big thing. The the incredible level of hindsight I've got now that is like, there was just no need to split it up. You could have just been like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was right to split up. But what I'm trying to say is like, because we were so intense, maybe we had to split it up. Maybe what we had to do was split it up in private. Whereas what I mean by that is maybe we just <coughs> needed to... Well, you felt that you couldn't succeed as a band, ultimately, we, right? We that literally was... could... We we could not carry on with the label we had. Yeah. We put out a record that had, across the board, full marks, um, an audience that was just loved us, yet a label that, when we got told we were playlisted on Radio 1, didn't reply for three days, and the reply then was good. Not, let's mobilise the things that a label does when you get a breakthrough like that for a rock band and, and don't forget at that point as well that wasn't a a regular occurrence like it is now like it's great that loads more rock bands are getting on the radio and stuff it's almost not as important now you know what I mean it's more important to get on a Spotify well when playlist, Kerrang was still you know a station mean? a lot of those bands that we were playing on Kerrang weren't getting played on Radio 1 yeah so it was a huge it was thing the key for us ones we, that we were, were but... on you uh, on Kerrang which was amazing and and massively supported us and helped us but then it, you can't deny that when Fern Cotton makes you a oh, it's playlist and it was a next level yeah. for that song and like but to not have the support so I almost did which at the time I didn't really understand because I didn't really know but I almost did a Prince in the way we split up our band uh-huh. which was I went I won't deliver another record to that label I won't put myself through what we went through to make that record I won't put myself through that again to deliver it and have the heartbreak of everything a band wants to get, the positivity from the fans, the positivity from the press, the radio coverage, all the things, but absolutely zero support. So what happened really in a nutshell is I now don't own the last two records, the rights to the songs I wrote for a few more years, but I managed to get out of the deal for the next album we contracted to to be able to own all my solo stuff that was a decision that had to be made um, I just wasn't willing to deliver another album to just effectively not do nothing because a lot of people love that record but it didn't do what it should do yeah um, and surely that's the most disheartening thing as an it's artist it's completely it? disheartening and we had that happen twice to us I mean, there was a five-year gap between our first and second record. Well, I remember the first time we spoke was like 2010 or 11 or something. Yeah, it would have been, When you yeah. did that arena tour with, was it 30 Seconds to Mars? And we did a phone interview. Maybe 30 Seconds or maybe my chem. We did right. I mean, We did a lot of arena tours with, with those bands, but... And yeah, then them, it was yeah. like two or three years before I got like a song sent from Lost Alone Dude, again after we that. did our I'm first like, Where record. have you been? <laughs> we did our first record. And this is the thing, and not to get too much into the detail of Lost Alone coming and goes, because I think we've done that before, but it wasn't the band. The, the record was delivered. 
you know yeah yeah i've just put out a thing because now i kind of own my own label i've just put what's out it, what's it called what's the label suffer called? for my art <laughs> you know what i mean like so my label that is primarily set up to release my own music i've also started putting out like things like i put out a thing called lung space the lost tapes which is six songs that never made it to the first record that when I heard them and when people have asked, because people have got them on like European EPs, but they're not, they're not on Spotify or iTunes. Do you know what I mean? Because they were, when it was just, you got a CD. So I put that out and I've then just put out a thing called Sin and Sinners, the UFO demos, which is eight songs that really could have been the second record, but because of various things, we took decisions and then ended up going to America and made a different record that really should have been the record that came out in 2009. So then we would have had debut 2007, toured. Second record 2009, toured. Third record 2011. What actually happened was we released the record 2007, toured for two years, built it up where we were ramming venues in Europe, then took some advice from our new management in America to make a record, which I went away. And this is what this demo thing is. So I'm ranting about this now. But then then that didn't work out. Then having to find a whole new thing. By the time we signed to Warner, and then we signed to Warner, make an amazing record, I'm a UFO in this city, with big producers, and do the big My Chem Arena tour. And then everyone at that label lost their jobs. Yeah. And we were the only band that didn't get dropped. Against me got dropped. Tegan and Sarah got dropped. All these bands got dropped. But And I know why we were kept on. We were kept because Gerard Way is the guy who brought us in there. But... We ended up taking our record back, but then it becomes five years since our last record was released. I can't <coughs> believe now that I allowed that to happen when I'm so prolific. I mean, I've released... Well, that's the other great irony as well, isn't it? Is you're and that's why I'm releasing day. all these things now. I'm going, hey, yeah, guys, yeah. this is a thing that should have come out then. And what's hilarious is Sin and Sinners, the UFO demos that I just put out, the song Sin and Sinners was the opening song to... Hey, all the fans know it so well, but it didn't make the record. Somehow, I don't know how. So, I'm put, so I can't remember the point uh, we we're talking about this, but there's so much music still that wasn't released. I could almost release a Lost Alone record like every year without writing another song. But so anyway, the, I think the point I was trying to get across that is, um, I don't know. There are no points, dude. We were talking about something specific, and it was it's just completely eluded me now that's how we roll it really is isn't it I'm sure when people are listening they can, they'll know what I was trying there's to say there's payoffs but... in there somewhere here we yeah. go let's take it way back because yeah. over the years so much of this stuff has never been documented anywhere as far as I'm aware but Derby and all the pre-lost alone stuff and some of the characters in your world yeah. are so fascinating and bizarre like some of those early just local figures who are you alright yeah, yeah, sure? yeah, yeah, no, totally. I'm just, I'm just thinking who you're referring to. Was there some guy who was in some sort of cult or some mad thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Can we talk so, about that? Because oh, this I'd is the kind of it, stuff yeah. that is pure Battelle that I'm like, <laughs> yeah, how it. do you know people like this? Where are so, people like this now? When we were like 13, we had a friend called Joe and he, his dad was the ice cream van man who would come and, at lunchtime and... No one bought ice creams off him, but they bought like, it was like, it's like a tuck shop, you know, like, and uh, Joe, who was the same age of us, was our manager of the, of the band. I mean, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. But um, yeah, so anyway, um, he went on holiday with his dad, Alan, over the summer. When he came back, he rang me 
at my parents' house on the landline. And he said, hi, Steve, um, I'm a harbour. And I was like, what? He's like, I'm a harbour. I was like, you're a farmer? He's like, no, I've changed my name to a harbour. I was like, yeah, good one. About 14, it was just hilarious. Anyway, he turned up at my house barefoot and then just told me that he, him and his dad had joined a cult called Energy World in France. And uh, then he showed us a video of his christening where everyone sat in this room in like white robes and they're all like kind of in a kind of meditation, meditorial, I don't know if that's a real word, position. Meditative. Meditative position, yeah. I like meditorial, that's quite, <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm having that. Um, anyway, he, this guy who's not dressed in the, the things walks in and they all kind of sense him. And then he, he then basically starts calling people up and he calls Joe up and he goes, you will be called a harbour. It was like, we were like, this is amazing. You know, just ready to like laugh at school. And his dad, who's called Alan, gets caught up and he's like, you'll be called Romero. And we're just like, this is the best thing. So anyway, Romero allowed us to rehearse in his terrace house in exchange for them doing energy training on us. (laughs) And that involved, (laughs) like, we had to stand... We thought we had all instruments, like in a room like this. It was a terrace house. Like we had to stand in a room before, and they would put on energy-rich music off a list that Michael Barnett. <coughs> and let's just be clear: this guy who's christened them all these weird names, his name's Michael Barnett. So he didn't give himself like a, a crazy name. <laughs> but he, we, so we would basically um, have to stand while they danced around us, and an energy they they used our energy to do something it was songs like Joe Satriani surfing with the alien and uh, which is a great song we were you know we were kids we were like opening <coughs> opening our eyes like looking at each other just like crying and, and our this guy Stephen Tristram who's a great friend of mine from school he only joined this was really like symptomatic of mine and Mark's band's lineups at that time he was only in the band for summer because he broke his leg he preferred football but he couldn't play football so he was the bass player but uh, a harbour tried to heal his leg it was just like at South Park where it was there going oh like we were like you're not going to heal his broken leg but anyway that's him and he did stuff like at school I I guess now looking back he thought he was a Jedi he sat in the class and there was this one teacher called Mr Bohay who all the other teachers like I mean nowadays they'd have to do this but he refused to call him a harbour he's like you're not a harbour you're Joe so he was going, Joe, on the, like, the register. And Harbour's just like looking straight. And everyone else in the class is loving this because it's, it's way better than doing English lesson. It was like, <laughs> there's a Jedi about, you know, like sat there. Um, and he basically just turned to him and, and Jedi'd him. Like, and Mr. Bohay just is in tears laughing. Anyway, that's him. That's and it. He, apparently he became Pavarotti's chef. Wow. I don't know how true that is, but I, that, the last thing, I mean, that's the last thing I ever heard of him, that he was in Germany and he was Pavarotti's chef. And there are more characters like that from around this area, right? I mean, it seems to be quite rich in yeah, I mean, unique individuals with quite unique stories. Yeah, like, I guess every area maybe has them, I'm but sure, with you, I'm, it seems like more I think probably we most. just attracted them, but it wasn't just this area, it was just the, the, you know, when the band started travelling. I think, I think it just was the the people we had, must have attracted to us. Like, I don't know if it was the music or me or... 
don't Wasn't know. there something once with a taxi or something as well? You said you went out of a venue. I mean, there's been so many times over the years when I've been sat backstage with you before you've gone on stage, and God knows how you get into them, but you just start recalling these tales, and yeah. every one is always like a little <laughs> short story. There's loads of things. I mean, our, our first our first time in Norway, um, we were. It was our first time we ever played a show out of England. It right. was like a huge deal, and it was in our band before Lost Alone. It was me and Mark and a couple of guys from, um, from Derby, and um, this guy used to work at the NME, who was Norwegian and was moved back to his hometown of Kongsvinger. Uh, just said we want to pay for you to come out and play Norway you know it wasn't like touring we, it was one of those things where you thought you knew what touring was and then you actually toured and then you realised that just like kind of doing four gigs in England one week and then four another week that isn't touring touring is where you pack your bags and you go which I now know a lot about but then we did so going to Norway was huge we played Kongsvinger at Oslo and this thing was insane it was like we got picked up off the plane taken to this place where it was Christmas trees and snow where like you couldn't walk it was it was a like a forest town it was so thick it was beautiful staying at this guy's house we got introduced to a guy who his first thing he said to us was they've allowed me off my medication in tribute of you being here and he looked like Angus Young on the cover of Highway to Hell he looked like the devil this guy to me I always remember his face he looked crazy and he was and um yeah, we 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 stayed at this house where everywhere we went, people knew this English band were there. And they, we, the car would pull up and the boot would open. They just fill it with alcohol. Thank you for coming. It was so nice, but it it was weird. And and, and at midnight, like and I always remember this. And I hope none of these people are listening because it's pretty bad. But I always remember at midnight, some Nazi stuff started kicking off, and we were like, "What is this?" Like it was. And Mark went, I always remember the System of a Down album would come out and Mark went to put it on and they went, this is Jewish music, we won't listen to it. And we were like, we've got to get out of here. But we couldn't get, we were like in the house. But um, there's another story that I was going to go into there, but it's so dark, I actually just realised that I, and, and the person that it happened to would never want it to be on a podcast. Okay. So um, I'll just we'll end it and say that, that it went darker than you could ever go. Wow. It involved a bridge, a Nazi, um, assault of the rear end. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Well, enough said right there. I think anyone with an imagination can put two and two together and come up with five with that one. Yeah. Um, so, Jared Leto, can we talk about him? We can talk about him in a... Um, well, yeah, we can. Yeah? Yeah. You, you just, I'll throw out there my stance on any of my friends that are like that. You know I'm not a big name dropper stroke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about people that have liked and are my friends so I don't mind ask, ask me things but I reserve the right to just go not going nah, to mate. Him. Uh, I know you appreciate that as well of course I've well, never liked to tell me about when you first met him um, and his initial sort of I guess in interest in the band I think and I've got to be really honest I've got this weird memory now where like everyone who knows me will tell you this I'm and I, I'm really going off on one here, but I fell down some roadworks head first about four years ago and cut my head open. And they said, your memory's going to be bad after this. And I'll forget what I'm talking about mid-sentence now. So I'm just giving you this weird... I can remember things from like years ago that I cannot remember other things. I don't remember with 30 Seconds to Mars if... Because with Paramore and Mike Hem, they specifically asked for us 
via liking our band. I don't. I think with thirty seconds, I don't remember if it was like that or if it was through our agent. But then suddenly, because we did back to back tours, because then they did. They were like, "We love your band," and I remember Jared Leto saying to me, "He was gutted that Brian Schechter, who was then the manager of My Chem, he was gutted that he got to us before him because Leto was basically like, I would have wanted to take you guys on." Oh, yeah, you always have these things in hindsight. Part of me's like, ah, I really wish we'd have come with him, but then loads of other things wouldn't have happened, you know, the way things are. But yeah, so I don't, I don't think he'd heard us before we did the tour, but then he was instantly like, I remember him thinking we were like the Who, and no one had ever called us. But I think it was more like the the attitude. But um, nothing but respect and like thankfulness to uh, Leto. He put us on a tour. Then instantly after, they were coming back to a bigger tour. Like they did kind of like theatre tour and then they did arenas. And they were just like, against, you know, you got, you got to remember here, like Paramore, 30 Seconds, uh, and My Chem could have taken any band on these tours. Um, and they really probably annoyed their agents by going, we want them, who we never had an industry buzz ever. And so I remember back in when it was like forums and things, I remember like people on that punktastic forum, like I never went on things like that, but Chaz, our tour manager, is friends with all them. And he'd always go, people think you're paying on to these tours. And that actually really did annoy me because, you you know, I never claimed to be punk, but you could not get more like DIY. Even when we were on Warner Brothers, they didn't give us the tour support to do our tour with 30 Seconds of Mars. We took out a credit card loan. We were on a major label to do a, a tour of Europe. We got offered these tours via our agents in the end because we had agents. But, you know, we got offered the My Chem tour by them emailing me and going, Gerard Way wants you to tour because you're his favourite band. We we did the Paramore. We, I was thinking about this the other day and I mentioned it to Hayley. We did, we did the tour where Paramore broke. Like we played the which under, album was that? We played the Underworld. The riot, was it? We played the Underworld at the Riot release show. Right, the Underworld, wow. and we did one tour with Paramore on small shows, and then they were like, "We're coming back to England. We want Lost Alone. We're coming back to Europe. We want Lost Alone." Such a nice feeling because we became known as like the band's band, and I really like that. Like we got all these t- tours because other bands passed on our CD. And, and then and then the thing I really like is that then we were nice people. When I say were, we are. We did these shows and like, I feel like, you know, I just met up with Paramore in Berlin the other week. Like, I just said a minute ago, I'm not a name dropper. Now I sound like I am, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm trying just... to make the point that like, these are just friends to me now yeah, and people yeah. who I, weirdly, like, because you don't have to be friends with people. You don't have to like people's music to be friends, but I love a new Paramore record. I love all Shikari's stuff. You know, I was a big Mike Chem fan, but these are people now that are like, I really take away from the band. I'm so happy that like, I like the fact that I'm friends with these people that have enriched my life. They're from places I would have never, I would have never known people from Franklin, Tennessee, and then Mike Chem from New Jersey. I I think about them more like that. It never crosses my mind that these big like, rock stars and it's because they've never they've because they've always respected my music i've always felt like which you know they might be way more successful than me but i like that they like my stuff because i feel do you know what i mean like i I like that they like one of their peers yeah and then part of me you know like we're talking earlier about like the depressive side of everything part of it is quite difficult because 
you could almost look at it in a really down way of going, well, all those bands, you know, I played with Paramore in a venue that I can probably just about sell out and now they play arenas. arenas. So you could look at it where like, it makes you feel like a huge failure. But then I do music and nothing else. I don't have to do a job. And when I say that, I have to quickly give the caveat that music is my job, but I don't really consider making music a job because I love it. But yeah. I'm not somebody that has to go out and do a job. You I get make to music make a living doing your hobby. Yeah, so I, I know I am in the category of one of the lucky few because there's multiple bands on the cover of magazines right now who will go and do their day job. Yeah. It's just the way it is, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what tangent we went off on then, but um, the question was... Has you meet Jared Leto? <laughs> here's, a, here's a question for yeah. you. When you watch him in movies, do you trip out? Is it weird? Nah, not at all, because it's not like I'm best friends with him. Um, I uh, The only weird thing, and I sent him a text saying this, was when I subscribed to Empire magazine, uh -huh. and when it that dropped Joker through cover. my door, and it was him on the cover, and I just sent him a thing <laughs> going, that's weird, <laughs> like you've just dropped through my door. But um, nah, not, not at all, because... I, I, I've never, like, my friend, and if she listens to this, she'd hate this. My friend Lorna, like, freaked out when she was in a shop in Brighton with Nick Cave, and she was like, oh my God, it's Nick Cave, it's Nick Cave. I wasn't even like that with, <coughs> with, with Brian May, and I love Queen. Yeah. Like, I've never been somebody that, like, I, I like meeting people, and it just so happens that, because I mean, was in a band and did all this stuff, like, it wasn't like I met, like, Paramore, and there was some huge band. We met them when Riot was about to come out, and then you just mate. So uh, I like to think that I've never treat anybody like that any different. Uh, I'm so proud. It sounds weird saying proud of a band that you're just kind of loosely friends with, but <laughs> you know. Well, you came you came up at the same time as them. You watched their ascension. Yeah, and they've been through a hell of a lot. You know, I, I feel so proud of like Taylor, who when I met him, he was the auxiliary guitar player who wasn't in the band. And the last two records, which are my favourite Paramore records, he's the co-writer with Hayley. It's a show. You know, it's just a weird world, isn't it? And nothing has to be like the way it has to be, if you know what I mean. They're a brilliant, like set of people that write brilliant songs and deserve absolutely everything. And uh, yeah, I, I just love it. I absolutely, I go to their gigs like a fan. You know what I mean? I was like singing every word of that show in Berlin. I loved it. And. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, they're like one of my. It's just I, I made like a, I tweeted something earlier in the year, and it was like, I love the fact that two of my favorite albums that came out this year are by people that I call my friends, Who are Shikari they? and Paramore. Like I just I love that. I, that Shikari <laughs> album's great. It's like a seventies sci-fi film, and I, I just love I love how, <clears throat> I, and I love the guy who produced it with Rao because he produced Marina the Diamonds Fruit record, and I love that record. Right, so this is their first one in a while without Dan. Without yeah, it Dan is, Weber, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think... Um, time for a change. Time for a change for both of them. I think, you know, Dan's just video messaged me from Austria where he's making a record in, like, the most incredible cabin at the top of a mountain. So I think, like, you know, the way I look at Dan and Shikari is it's like Queen and Roy Thomas Baker. Yeah. They made some classic records together, but then you've got to have a chance where you move on to... To find your own new sound, so I think you know. There's, I think it's a great thing, you know. Um, very similar to what we did, you know. We, you have eras where you think, I can't imagine making a record with somebody else, and then you need you need to, you know. Otherwise, I, I don't know. Well, otherwise, you get stagnant. 
don't you? You completely do. And Shikari wouldn't have made that great record with Dan. Uh, it would have been more like the others um, because they just got their way of working and Dan wouldn't be out doing the thing he's doing now if he'd have had to put all that time into that. So, And uh, obviously Dan with his band Six, they're just like doing so much stuff with that at the moment. It's like, yeah, I think it's like a really good thing. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tell me about Chaz. Can we talk about Chaz? Oh, God, yeah. Can we, <laughs> we can talk about Chaz. I don't know why anybody would want to. Did you ever go watch Lightyear? Were they a band that you were sort of around at all? I, the thing with Lightyear was I knew Chaz as that. He's older than me. I knew him as that weirdly like, he was like, me and Mark were never cool. Like, but but we were friends like Chaz was part of the skater gang we weren't at the same school but people at our school knew Chaz because they were skaters all hung around together they were like the skaters and me and Mark were friends with all the different groups of people everybody liked me and Mark but we were very much our own thing obsessed with doing music we just knew Chaz as like the the cool guy out the skaters who everyone like <coughs> kind of loved you know and then remember we had a band Light year when we had our school band, and um, I just wasn't my kind of music in any way. It was co- it was comedy scar, it still is. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, but um, I like. I went to see them the other week on the reunion thing, and I love it. I mean, four members of that band have toured with Lost Alone in various capacities. I, yeah, uh, driver, lighting, lighting, sound guy. Uh, Bars is a massive sound engineer for like he's on tour with Sundar Akaba. He's done, he was Friendly Fires front of the house. He's a big you know sound guy, does big bands. But um, my thing with Lightyear now is they I love I absolutely love fifty percent of it. Like there's some songs in there. Neil is so talented, the, the guitarist. I wouldn't give Chaz any credit. Um, <laughs> people should probably understand that Chaz was my tour manager for most of Lost Alone yeah yeah, no yeah, yeah, yeah 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 but um, I love 50% of it like massively I, I just the song Twat Out of Hell is incredible <laughs> and I absolutely detest 50% of it I'm not into the comedy side of it at all which is interesting because you once said to me that all good rock should be able to be filed in the comedy section in the record store as well yeah it should but it shouldn't be like 
how, how should like I say parody this? music it should just be bombastic it, and absurd all, but all good not. rock should be able to be found in the comedy section as well but not uh, the not not the music the the what comes with it is why it goes comedy the ridiculousness of the situations I don't like the side of <coughs> what Lightyear do that is just comedy and loads of people do but for my thing I it's because I really like the songs and I don't like when they in my opinion get like bogged down by like a pantomime horse but saying that I laugh when that comes out <laughs> yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean so anyway it's not me <laughs> critiquing like I love all the guys and I, I really love the music like, what do you think about Chaz's solo album Lyri- I, I think lyrically, lyrically that is it's, it's like a Shane Meadows soundtrack that album yeah for me. Chaz is just weird and because there's something very East Midlands about that what yeah, do you think he, about he, that as being from around this area there's con- that kind of specific yeah. dry sardonic yeah, it's odd borderline he, he, he bleak he was living in Brighton when he made it but it's really very Derby centric I think it? yeah and the the song about the guy in the uh, the, tele- the Derby even Telegraph it, he's I would call Chaz the Peter K of acoustic-based music. There you go. Because it's that like ability to, you know, Social Peter commentary, K picks, isn't it? picks the things that your grandparents do and stuff. Chaz did that with Derby so well, and 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 other places like you know the glove on the wall, you know things that like everyone goes oh yeah, but like the Telegraph thing, he even does a telegraph in the song. It's it instantly makes me remember walking past the guy who. He'd said telegraph so many times that it wasn't a word. It was <laughs> like Chaz nailed it. Do you know what I mean? Like, but yeah, I, I, I just to be clear, I love Lightyear's songs. I, I, I really like. But you know, we There's should no going back now. You hate them. I'm well, we should kidding. just like maybe like really throw in the awfulness of this. That Chaz is now part of my family. <laughs> He's the dad to my sisters. He's the dad to my nephew. So. I'll be with him. On He's Christmas your brother-in-law, Day. Steve. Don't skirt around it. He's, He's your yet. brother-in-law. There's still time. Yeah, married yet? <laughs> no, but it's really weird that he is now like you know, I'll, you know, his dad with grandma's. Do you know what I mean? It's like I've toured with him for all these years, and now there's no escape. Yeah, so we're very much you know like he's he's I love Chaz. He's part of my family, and you know. Yeah, that's Chaz. Amen to that. We've done Chaz. We've done Chaz. So when we first met, I think our mutual and initial bond was over the um, brilliant film 8. What was it called? Super 8. Super Super 8, yes. What a film. And that was a weird connection because I literally watched it the night before you came in and I just thought I'll throw it in there as perhaps some sort of, I don't know, icebreaker. And then I can almost trace like our whole friendship back to that initial bond of... Was that, I, in, was that in Birmingham? It was when you, it, fir- the, you and Mark first came to Kerrang. Came to the studio. Yeah. Yeah, remember it. And there was just an instant bond over 80s movie magic, which, of course, I think extends into the every essence of what you do musically, right? Would you say that's safe to yeah. say? I mean, if we go back to now pick up the rest of the tour of the room, <laughs> yeah. and we can look and we can see the snowman there, yep. all these little action figurines over here. and Matt. 
Hold on a minute. Go on. I know you don't like Star Wars, but don't refer to <laughs> Here we go. a Star Wars collection as action, action figurines. figurines. It's Star Wars characters. Okay. There's no different people in there. That is all Star Wars. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, Let's mate. Get this right. Sorry, mate. Just don't do Star Wars wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And my favourite thing over there, and this is why I wanted yes. to have you on today, really, for Christmas, is because every day is Christmas for you, right? Yeah, it kind of is in a way that... Um, I mean, these Christmas lights that are up aren't here for a certain period. These are up all year. Yeah. Um, I do listen to Christmas music all year round. Not like as a rule, but it's like I don't see why you... I love the emo, I, lo, I love the feeling of Christmas. So I... And could, for you, what is the essence of Christmas? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that... What does it conjure up in you, that word, that time of year? I think like I had always had a great family Christmas like my mum loves Christmas so much so it's always a brilliant magical time like I was definitely the last person to get told Santa Claus isn't real and I debated it you know I was, I was somebody who found out like at school and went home like gutted and I I think like I've I and, and I'm kind of on a slight tangent I'm obsessive about um <coughs> Every song I write is dated and, you know, filed away. And it is absolutely insane to see how most of the songs that have ended up on records, because, you know, as you know, but other people might not realise, I write, I can write three songs a day, every day. I mean, three songs is a minimum. And they'll get reused for various things. But what I'm trying to say is the amount of songs that you will know of mine that are written on like Christmas Eve to like the few days after this, I find something magical about this time of year that makes me write songs. And a lot of people have said that some Lost Alone songs sound Christmassy, not the Christmas ones. Like there's always, so it's just weird. Even like the heavy songs have like a weird, I find this time of year. So I, I, I'm struggling to pinpoint why I like it. Cause I just do like where I'm going tomorrow in Montreux in Switzerland is just Christmas. It is Lake Geneva, Freddie Mercury statue, smoke on the water, Christmas market, the Alps. And it is, and you could actually meet Father Christmas in a 2000 meters above sea level. You go into a cave and he's at the end of it. And the guy thinks he's Santa Claus. Anyway, I've really gone off on one here, but I, no, that's I, exactly I, I just, it. you've nailed the answer. That's yeah. And um, I'm the only member of the public as well <laughs> who, Last year, and you can I'll post this so you can link to it or something. There's a a Father Christmas that goes across Lake Geneva, where in Montreux, on a line in the air, like it look. He's on a sleigh, looks incredible, and it's every hour on the hour across the Christmas market, and all the kids look up, and it's and then he gets to the top, and he goes ho ho ho, and speaks in French because that's what we speak there. And because I've been to Montreux so many times now and I'm so known there because of my Queen obsession and then the studio, Michael Jackson recorded there and Smoke on the Water was made there about them. You know, we all came down to Montreux on the Lake Geneva Shore. That's what it's about. Deep Purple, ACDC, Bowie and Queen did Under Pressure there. Because I'm now kind of part of the scene there somehow just because I go there. Because you go there. How many years on a row have you been there? This is the seventh year at Christmas in a row. Wow. But I've been there since 2007 when the band first went. This will be my 17th time. Maybe, actually, maybe it's more than that because if I've been there seven... I've been, like, as soon as the band decided to split it up, I got a plane to Montreux. 
Like when I want to go and write and get my thoughts, I go there. It's just so peaceful. But at Christmas, it's not peaceful. It's Christmas market and Christmas. Anyway, back to the fantastic thing I've done. <laughs> the guy who runs the whole Christmas market, which is Switzerland's biggest attraction now at Christmas, he's mates with Santa because he employs him. I was allowed to go on the sleigh that goes, and I don't like heights or speed, but I couldn't turn down doing this. And I went up <laughs> into the sky over Lake Geneva. And it, it's so, the footage is incredible because I'm so scared when Santa <laughs> tries to put the handbrake on, because it's like a kind of motorbike on a wire. You would not get away with it here with health and safety. The way that he determined if I could go on it was, I had to be weighed and they just took off a few uh, presents and then I sat on it and it was like this. Just guessed it. Yeah. And then when we got to the top, the highest point where you're looking over the Alps on that side and all these people down below, you're higher than the big wheel. He's trying to put the handbrake on, but I'm holding his leg because I thought it would be like a side where at least I was like not, there's no side. You're higher than the side of it. And I was so scared. I'm holding on to Santa's leg and he's trying to put a handbrake on so he can stand up and go ho ho. Anyway, I'm glad I did it, but if you offer it me tomorrow, I might. Well, I'd probably do it again. You do it again. But I'd, I'd, I'd probably have to down a lot of, a lot of some snaps. Yeah. What's, what's their little winter warmer of choice over there? There's a, there's, they have obviously loads of stalls. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. There's a guy who comes from Canada who does Canadian whiskey with maple syrup, and uh, that's my go-to. It's lethal and beautiful. Because you're someone who enjoys alcohol, but I don't think I've ever That's seen so you drunk. Weird. No, I don't think I've ever seen you drunk. I can't be drunk. Because for years I thought, oh, you must just not drink. And then I noticed that every show you play, you'd get a bottle of Jack Daniels on your rider, but then just take it home. Yeah, well, well there was various different times. There was a few years where I was so obsessed with looking after my voice right. that it was, I would have a bottle of Jack Daniels and a bottle of champagne as Steve's rider, yeah, like as well as all the food, but uh, Alan and Mark like beer, so they get a local beer and the crew and everyone. But I'd have my thing, but I wouldn't drink on tour ever. I'd look after myself. I want to make sure, and I still feel like this. I want to make sure that <clears throat> if people are paid to see me, they're going to get the proper show. And that harks back to the first ever tour we did of Europe. I didn't drink either, but the other guys. It was an exciting thing. They, it was like all of December in Europe. And I just remember every morning being in the, we're in a splitter van at that point, being sat there and me really enjoying looking around as we traveled through these countries and just being surrounded by just hanging, like guys just dying from being so... And, and they, and it was our crew as well, and they all admitted it and that's all. They weren't giving their 100% on stage because they were dying. So... They, Mark, really cool, like Mark deployed a two-beer rule before the gig where he liked to take one on with him and have one before. Alan was the same. I just went all out and just didn't drink on tour. Apart from there would be a few select nights and people knew about it when I was on it. But um, the thing is, I used to bring back... So if if we imagine, if we did a 30-day tour, I would bring home 30 bottles of Jack Daniels (coughs) and 30 bottles of champagne and then, like, A, I'm sorted for Christmas presents, giving them out. B, <laughs> I remember we did a, an after-show party spontaneously for our Christmas show. It wasn't supposed to happen. I was like, hold on, taxi me back to my parents where I lived at the time. I just got the entire bar for the party. And, just bought, I was, and it, was, it wasn't like, here's a shot. It was like, here's a bottle. I gave everybody a bottle of Jack Daniels and just went, go. And that was a party. But, yeah, there's a... There's a 
there's an infamous incident because if Lost Lone fans, I hope, are going to tune into this for some frivolity, there's an incident where you would have seen me drunk and it rings out in the me world. Me personally. You know how you said you'd never seen me drunk? Yeah. If you'd have been in Italy right. at this show, you would have not only seen me drunk, but you would have seen this. So play the show. Chaz comes up to me, the earlier aforementioned Chaz, <laughs> comes up to me and tells me that the ho- the hotel, the venue who was supposed to have signed the hotel for this place, they haven't. And I was like, you know what? Like this Italian kind of fan club, Lost in Italy, had greeted us so well. They'd arranged with the venue to have a room where they'd done home-cooked food, all these gifts. It was so nice. I just went to Chaz. There was a club after. I never do this. I always, you know, you, as you know, I do the show, meet the fans, sometimes in acoustics outside to avoid the load, but also to enjoy that. <laughs> um, I'd always do that. I loved it. But I'd always go back to the hotel, watch a film, write a song. I just went, there's no hotel. I was like, Chaz, sort it out. I'm just going to go and party. So... I just remember everyone was going, Chapito, Chapito, and then down these things. I didn't realise that, like, Alan and Chaz and stuff, who had just not bothered so that hotel, classic Chaz, who was just drinking, they weren't drinking this drink. They were tipping it because I think they knew what it was. And then all I know is that, because Alan's told me, Alan found me surrounded by people, face down in my own sick, in the <laughs> toilet on the floor, <laughs> Uh, he had to get Chaz to get me out. And then the most shameful thing that has ever happened to me is there's a photograph taken by a fan. Fans had to drive us to the hotel. We'd never do anything like this, but they were all so lovely. I think I'm in the back of a mini metro being sick into a bag of gifts that the fans had given me. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> there's a photo of it. And um, I awoke the next day in a shower that they'd put me in fully clothed the, the, the Mark, Mark refused I was supposed to share with Mark Mark refused to have me uh, so I was in with Chaz I was just put in a shower to sort me out I just remember everyone saying I look 2D <laughs> and um, and then driving to the get, getting driven to Munich having to miss the meet and greet and I was in bed until five minutes to stage time where I was just walked to the stage and then it was sold out and something about being on stage just made me well and it was brilliant. But it was, that that's that's a time where alcohol has affected me. Wow. But other than that, it doesn't actually, it doesn't generally do much. Like I, I've been, you know, sounds like I'm crazy, I've been out, but you know, I've, <laughs> like, I mean, at the end of tour and stuff, I would drink a lot of sh- um, spirits and I just think it's because I live on such a... Like, everyone hates it about me. Like, all my friends are like, why don't you get drunk? And I don't get hangovers. The more I drink, the earlier and fresher I get up. Like, it's because something happened. Like, if we get in at four, I'm up at five working. Something about it spurs me on. I don't understand it. I'm just built differently. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that's that, that's the Stephen alcohol section. There you go. Sort of. Let's... I'm, I'm way more, as we know, I'm way more... Like, the, my vice is chocolate. Well, it so, used to be. I thought you'd given it up. We're, Matt, we're sat here eating oh, yeah, chocolate no, of hobnobs. Course, of course. I gave chocolate up. I didn't even think that. Dude, no, no. I I'm, haven't I'm, broken you today, I'm have I? back on it You're massively. back on it big time. I, I gave up chocolate and, it was for a while, and, and right? cereal on Easter Sunday in April 2016. 
who gives up chocolate on Easter Sunday? I don't know, but I did it. I did it. And I left a, a, really a lint egg on the end of a bed that my mum had dropped round. A massive lint egg with all the lovely stuff in it. And I was like, and I flew to Sweden. I'm like, that's it. Not, not eating chocolate again. Didn't eat chocolate till, but I said I'm going to eat it at Christmas. So I didn't eat it from April till Christmas, which is huge for me. For some, do, you, do you replace it then with a new vice? Do you get addicted to like, I don't know, fruit? Yeah, I think it, no, <laughs> I tried to get addicted to fruit. That would have been helpful. I think I kind of did chocolate everything, but it was almost like what's, I was just went mental on cake. Like any cake, as long as it's not chocolate. Any sweet, as yeah, long as so it's not it, chocolate, it, yeah. And a, and a lot of the time people were saying, you know what, the chocolate you'll be able to put better for you than that. So I don't know, but um, I did that and I accidentally gave up cereal, which I've not had since coming up to two years but um, if anyone followed me while I was making my record like me and Dan Weller were like going out in the morning buying like each of us it'd be like three boxes of cereal for for an amount of money and we'd both buy the deal we'd have to go back at lunchtime because we'd finished six boxes it was just outrageous so I gave up cereal mainly because I couldn't have if I had some Weetabix I'd have nine in one go Yeah. so it'd be three I'd use like three quarters of a pint of full fat milk on across nine Weetabix. It was just getting ridiculous. It wasn't good for my skin and stuff. So I gave that up and I've not had cereal since. I crave, because I'm not like a cereal snob. I like you like real uh, big, big ones. Like if I could now have cornflakes with full fat milk, ice cold. It's going to take, uh, in the hotel I'm in when I get to Switzerland, I know they have, you know, the machines at the buffet where you, you turn it and the cereal comes out. That, that, <laughs> that could happen. You'll be there. Yeah. Anyway, we digress onto food stuff. We're not a food podcast, are we? Let's bring it home and talk about the uh, Exit Brain Left album. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the writing of that, certain specific songs, sounds, because it sounds so much like you, but it sounds so different to Lost Alone. It's, I guess, a less guitar-driven album yeah. in the traditional sense. Yeah. I think, um, sorry, being a hobnob. Um, you enjoy that. So, in terms of just first of all the guitar, it's kind of like there's loads of guitar on it, but there's no guitar chords, which is really weird. It wasn't a decision. I think there's one song with guitar chords, but I think it was a mixture between... I've always, even through Lost Alone, I like all music, all genres. As you know, I love pop, good good pop. You know, I love good metal. I, I love everything. And it, it is in a... Some people say that. You know that about me. I, I really love... A playlist for me would be a genuine across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I just found... I don't know if it's a bit like a Billy Corgan kind of quote, but I really think I took rock to the limit I could take it to on that last Lost Alone album. It went so over the top. The riffs were so big. The layering of... So it wasn't like a decision to go, I've done that. But it kind of was like, I don't want to compete with myself when I also love all this kind of stuff. And then another part of it... a chance to get out from underneath that and do something new, right? Yeah, it was. And like with everything I've ever done, I just did what I wanted to do. That was the main thing. I know for a fact that I could have made, because I wrote everything Lost Alone, and I'm not taking anything away from the guys because they made the band what it was, but I could have wrote a, an album like Lost Alone, released that, and probably retained way more Lost Alone fans to the cause. 
but I, I don't care about that. I make what I want to make that makes me happy. And um, that's what I did. And um, I'm really proud of it. Like, it broke even, like, the day it went on sale. Like, in terms of, I released it myself. Um, everyone pre-ordered it, and it was fantastic. And um, I only did one gig, which was stupid, but I was scared. But it sold out. I London show at a church. Um, I loved it. And then... Then I just got obsessive about going, oh my God, I can release music. So I've literally released that record. I've, I think if you go on like my Spotify now, I've got sort of like eight different releases since that. Because I've just realised I can just keep putting out music and I love it. But having said that, just to kind of like really go off X and left for a second, I'm currently in the process of make as well as all the other music I make, I'm making two new records for me. One of which I'll let you hear a little bit of off air is just carnage guitar. It's like, and the other is almost like the follow up to Exit Brain Left. Right. And it's not, be- it's, it's because I feel like I can. And I kind of missed when I made Exit Brain Left, I didn't want to make big riffy songs. But now, a year since that's been released, and two years since I started making Exit Brain Left, I did start missing, like... Shredding. Shredding, yeah, and and, and it came back... The riffology, to, yeah, as you like yeah, to call it. Yeah, the riffology, yeah, and it, it came back naturally, which is the perfect way. But the thing is, the other thing didn't, <coughs> the other thing didn't go away. So I've got Exit Brain Left follow-up, and I've got Battelle just ridiculous over-the-top guitars. And I just thought, well, I'll just do both. So we were in Chapel Studios recently making a big guitar record which is for my me and I'm writing and making my own record kind of here and when I go to Switzerland tomorrow and in Copenhagen where I went and then me and Dan are finishing up in New York in March um, which is going to be fantastic so I've got two records but I probably just ruined your whole shape of your thing there because but Exit Brain Left just to go back to it was made in a, such a different way to I've ever done stuff I as you know I normally write 80 songs for a record and then it comes down with this I booked a week to travel somewhere before a week I'd have booked in with Dan Weller and I gave myself the thing of the song I write and kind of roughly demo which will be the basis of what we make that's the song that is going on the record I don't know if that sounds as extreme as it is because to give the context there's a budget to make the record there isn't a chance for me to go in with Dan who costs money and then go, oh, I don't like that one. It's the song I write that week that I'm making the next week and don't have any time to live with is the song that's going on the record because I want this record to be a document of a a year making. I could have booked him with Dan for like three or four weeks in one go, made a record, but we were like, why don't we make a record over one year, your year after ending your life in a band? make a record that documents what the hell happens to somebody who comes out of that. And that's what we made. And it's, I really hope people can hear it in that way. It's not chronological on the track listing, but there's definitely like a, there's a, there's a theme of like that, that, you know, and it's chronological in a certain way that the last track is kind of, it's called, I'm still finding out who I'm going to be. Cause it's basically saying after trying to do all this this year, I've still got no idea 
just listen to the record. It's it's a massive riff that's on the Radio One Rock show, and then it's like a, something that should be like on some avant-garde film, you know. But I like to think that it's just always been how I am, because even on Lost Alone records, maybe to the detriment of the business side that a lot of people said, we had so many times where people would say, if you'd have done 12 songs like The Bells, which was a big heavy song, you'd have appealed to just that one market and probably sold more records than you did. If you'd have done 12 songs like Lovely You Alive, you'd have appealed to the more radio rock market and would have sold more records. But coming from somebody who grew up loving Queen, it's just in my DNA to, I like the albums where you have it all. So all Lost Slow records are the same as my Exit Brain Left and will be like my new one, where it was just more extreme on my new record. But a Lost Alone record would have a super poppy rock song and they're the biggest riff you've ever heard. So I think it's kind of just carried on by the records I like, you know. You haven't said a word for ages. I think I've just talked for about 10 minutes. No, there. I love it. What's um, the song that yeah. goes wah-da-ba-bum? It's like The Lion King or something. Um, we should pull up the track. You should pull it up because I'm very bad at... Um, and the song with the schoolboy or schoolgirl or school kid choir. There's, there's, a, there's a song called The Jump that's got 48... And we all fall four, down yeah, four, out of this life. Yeah, 48 children. And that's such a dark lyric to be sung by a bunch of kids as well. I always I love remember, because it. it was my friend, Gareth Molyneux, who's a, uh, a teacher at a school, and he sorted out for me to be able to go and um, record the kids. I always remember just standing there when I had to write on this whiteboard the lyrics and thinking, jump, 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 and we all fall down out of this life. I thought, oh my God, I'm just about to ask loads of like eight-year-olds to sing that. But but a lot of nursery rhymes are on that same so level, nursery, aren't they? Yeah, and that's what that song is. It's a real nursery rhyme kind of thing. The Powers um, of Denial is the African-flavoured yeah, yeah. one, isn't it? So Yeah, it's got loads of African samples of um, tribes on it, actually. Um, that the Powers of Denial is the first song we recorded for the album Down in Hastings actually um, but um, yeah th- I love the, the the thing I found myself on that record because every I had friends all over the world saying to them can you just record things for me and send it me and like there's a song on the album called Stephen Battelle. <laughs> and like, Let's say that again. There's a song yeah. on Stephen Battelle's debut yeah. solo album called Stephen Battelle. Yeah, and I just... And there's the Kerrang review of the album on the wall behind us. There is, yeah. Is that and a bit like that's, myself? No, like. no, no. A, a lot of musician friends I know do that. And I would do that. And it says, as Kerrang do, they'll recommend a song. And it says... Uh, check out Stephen Battelle and I was because I'd forgot momentarily yeah, that the yeah. song was called Stephen Battelle I was like well of course they're going to check out Stephen Battelle because that's a whole review about but oh no yeah of course he had the song it, there's a, this Stephen is what Mattel I mean about well. when we talked about comedy earlier on like it's got these samples from a friend who was in Japan and I built the song about it actually it's really weird I'd never done that but I was like oh man you're in Japan can you send me some stuff he sent me this amazing like it sounds it's incredible people have to listen to it like to hear it it's amazing he just recorded these guys doing this weird thing and I was getting into this whole new thing I've never been like a recorder like I've been a producer but I'm not a technical guy I'm starting learning that a lot now I do a lot of writing but um, it was my first foray into that album into grabbing samples and then building tracks around it and um, and I wrote this lyric and it was like I've never trusted hope or the feeling hope evokes that sums up my entire career in inverted commas 
because I don't trust the. <coughs> it says it there. I don't trust the feeling. You get this hope, but I've learned to not trust hope. I'm like the the anti Luke Skywalker in a way, but um, um, the point is the lyric of that song. I just remember Dan Weller going. I was like, dude, I've called it Stephen Mattel. He was like, there's nobody else that much of a. I don't want to say the word he said. I think it was the the swear word beginning with W. Um, you can swear on the podcast. I just don't like to swear. I'm not a swearer. Not? Yeah, but you can say it for me. He was like, there's no one that much of a... Wanker. ...that would call a song themselves. <laughs> and then we looked into it, and even like in the rap world, where I thought there might be like... A Beggy Smalls or... Yeah, a, yeah, there's people who've named themselves in titles, but nobody has been that stupid to just call a song themselves alone. Yeah. Even Snoop Dogg is What's My Name. That's exactly, yeah. Nobody's Dogg. just titled a song <laughs> themselves. And instantly I was like, well, that's well, I'm, that's why. It's got to be. Yeah. Like, it's just too perfect. And even just things like a few fans have sent me, like, on their car stereo. Or they Marshall it, Mathers. Yeah, but I don't... It's not a... Is that a song title? Or is that not an album title? Well, it's the Marshall Mathers LP, so it's a whole album. Is so it's called, maybe is it, even trunky. Is isn't it called the Marshall Mathers LP? Yeah. It's not called Marshall Mathers. Yeah, I guess so. This is right, the point yeah, I'm right, trying right, to get right, across. Yeah, 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 Nobody yeah. has just titled a song themselves. Not like the Stephen Mattel experience. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah, literally yeah. going, I'm that much of a... Wanker. Yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I mean about that tongue-in-cheek thing. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's a dead important song to me. And Dan was like, it is your story, this song. So why wouldn't you title it? It's like telling your story. So... I did it, and, uh, and I, I love that I did that. And some fans have sent me like uh, photos of their car stereo, where it just looks brilliant. Stephen Mattel by Stephen Mattel just looks such a good, a good thing. So, yeah. So um, I can't remember what the point again about that was. I love the way you keep trying to remind yourself of what the point is. You just kind of let never, yourself go to the flow, dude. There's, there's a there's a lost alone B side called the What's flow. the Point? And I often because I'm <laughs> often always, stop and find yeah. myself wondering. That that track, what's the point? I don't know if it's around anywhere, but let's bring it home, dude. Let's yeah, com- do it. Let's complete the tour of the room with the yeah. final frame over there, which is of course Mr. Davy Jones. There Tell me about the significance of Prince and Bowie to you, and I guess their passing. I know we're uh, a couple of years away from that now, but I guess when you were writing that record, those two guys and their art must have been looming large over you. Yeah, the um, I think like to be like completely honest. Prince affected me because I was a fan, but not as much as Bowie because I was a am a huge fan of Bowie. Prince, I'm one of these people. There's nothing wrong with this. <coughs> with Prince, I I got all his albums because I have everybody's albums. I love listening to music. I love Prince, but I'm definitely one of these people that found out way more about him after he died. Um, whereas with Bowie, making my record, I actually did things like bought a pair of blue jeans and a check shirt, dyed my hair blonde and went to Berlin and tried to live as Bowie for four weeks during his uh, Berlin era. That's the extent in which I was like channeling him on my record. It, it was like really intense. And I just try to figure out, he died a month after my album came out, I think. Did he... Am I getting this right? He died... The start of 2016. It was January 2016 because yeah, it was I, basically Lemmy was December 2015 yeah. and then Bowie and then it was just like... Yeah, so everyone. he died a month after my record came out 
So he, I was on an absolute Bowie mission because again, I've been a Bowie Bowie fan for years, but just at the end of Lost Alone, so at the end of 2014, one of the first times that I really went deep on Bowie, like instead of just like, I knew all the albums, but I started really going like, like I found out that my favourite album was Station to Station. And that was an album that I never really properly got into. And I, I, I went so... What's on there? Thin White Duke? That, no, so Station to Station is when he called Fame. himself the Thin White Duke. Right, 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 right. It's got Station to Station as the first track and it's like super long. Young Americans, Fame, is it that record? No, Young Americans is before all that. Right. you you got to realise here that like, like with a band like Queen, he's putting these ridiculously like genre-defining albums out six months after the last genre-defined album. Yeah. So stay, but I start, I think I was one of these, when you're in a rock band, there was way more one of these guys that was like a, a Ziggy Bowie mm-hmm. fan and, and, um, Diamond Dogs, Aladdin all, Sane. Yeah, Aladdin Sane. And then I kind of got into like his Berlin trilogy and then like, um, Scary Monsters and then realizing that I absolutely love Station Station and like, so Station Station, Low, Heroes, Lodger, Scary Monsters. I started getting into those records instead of the, earlier guitar ones and yeah it culminated in me literally going to Berlin and buying blue jeans that I'd never owned and buying a check shirt and just like and instead of I wasn't trying to look like Bowie I was just I was in a weird zone but I ended up looking more like a 1980s West German football player I can't remember <laughs> his name but he, somebody pointed it out to me in like a sticker annual but it was funny but I went there on my own and just like like wrote the song Nine Miles of Light that is on uh, Exit Brain Left and I, I accidentally went at the 20th anniversary of the wall coming down and I was there for the big concert that Peter Gabriel sang Heroes and all this stuff so I was really I was, I was ac- it was an accident I didn't know it was happening and I wrote Nine Miles of Light about the nine miles of light that they made of the wall you could walk so it really felt entwined in Bowie and in Berlin and then yeah it was just I'll never forget uh, Pete, who I believe you know is my kind of tour manager, sound guy, brilliant guy. He's from uh, Belfast. He'd flown over and we were rehearsing my kind of live show thing. And Blackstar had come out and he'd flown over the weekend. And me, Alan and Pete were right here. We just had a Bowie weekend listening to it and just being like, it's weird for somebody at that stage of their career to release what I consider one of the best albums they've ever released. It's like the next day was great, but Blackstar is insanely a career-defining record. And we'd like listen to it and we watched loads of Bowie on like you know, YouTube stuff and just enjoyed it. And Pete stayed here, obviously, because he's from Belfast. And I remember coming down, I learned he died on my phone dead early, like a lot of people. I was awake early, I'd see Twitter and Pete was sleeping on my sofa and I came down and Pete did the weird dance out of the Blackstar video that all the Scarecrows do. This as a joke going, oh, I'm a Blackstar because we've been doing that. At me as I walked in, I just went, dude, you, he's died. And it was just like insane. And it was kind of like, you know, a lot of these people who do that thing where you didn't know him. And like, I just don't care for that attitude because if you love music as much as like you and me do, like they're the company you keep in your ears 90% of my life, I have headphones on. I'm traveling. I'm not saying you know the person, but you, their work is your friend. 
not the you're not deluded where you think that you know them, but you their work is is you know music's my best mate, and the people that are my favorite musicians are, are like their music is my best friend, so it hugely impacted me, as it did loads of other people I know who are artists, and I know loads of people who got I don't begrudge people who got into them at that point because that's actually what happens now you you don't know what you've what you've got to this god is true with that so yeah again i'm going to say that famous thing that i keep saying i can't remember what the point was about <laughs> this but um that's my little piece about bowie the point anyway, was that how you love david bowie yeah and I, and, I, and I went to see lazarus the musical that yeah. is the last thing he wrote he wrote that at the same time as black star and it's with the guy from dexter is it david c hall i think and it was it was michael dark. michael yeah. sorry david michael um yeah, it was. He wrote that with him. No, he is the right the guy in it. Right. So, right. so Bowie was making Black Star, and he'd always wanted to make a musical. And um, I forget the guy he contacted, but he contacted a guy big in the musical world, and he was like, "I want to do this." And then he was one of the only people he told. He went, "Listen, I've got to be truthful with you. I ain't gonna be around long." So then it became very clear this was his kind of epitaph and kind of. So the Black Star songs were written for the musical but kind of for an album, the different kind of versions. And then he wrote a few more songs and he went so that he got, his last public appearance was in December at the premiere of it in New York. And um, yeah, then obviously it was around another month, but then it came to London and it was, you know, St Pancras Church. Google have bought a site there and it's before it was built, they let it be used for, you know, like uh, theatre and so Lazarus was there, so I went to that, and it was, it was like a goodbye for him. It was a sequel to the film he did. He wrote his own sequel to the Man Who Fell to Earth. So Michael C. Hall played Bowie's character in that, but it was like, it was like him because he literally flies off at the end to space. It was, it's kind of cathartic in a way because it was like a weird. I don't think it'll get to be seen again because it was a limited run everywhere. Like I don't think they'll. It just felt quite um, timely, timely and, and lucky to be able to see it because it was quite a nice. It wasn't like a fun night out. It was like you felt like Bowie's the way he'd written it was like going see you later. Heavy, but yeah, as really you say, ultimately heavy duty, man. Inspiring, but, yeah, really good. So yeah, it's been a big, just one of those big figures that've been really inspiring to me as a writer. You know, fearless. Is there anything you want to add? No, man. Cheers for the hobnobs. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas, I guess. Seeing as it's this is Christmas Day that people hear this. Is there anything you want to say to people who are, you know, kind of hungry for Stephen Battelle and hungry for Battelle. any sort of news to tease or projects? Um, to... I think because I'm so social media, just follow open, him and keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, I. Everyone knows what I'm doing. They know I'm making two records. They know I want to tour now. Is that um, going to happen next year? You're going to do I a full to tour? tour yeah, yeah, I want to tour. Yeah, so I will make it happen. I'm just going to make these two records great first. Um, so yeah, that's all I need to tell people. Just just be be on board and be ready. Be ready. Yeah. Thank you. It was good to catch up, dude. It's, it's been a long time, isn't it? Fantastic to catch up, Matt. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've no idea how long we've talked. I don't know how long we were on for. I think it's about two hours. 
Wow. Solid. Solid two. Solid yeah. effort. To infinity. I've just seen Buzz down there. Buzz is down, yeah. And beyond. Um, thanks, dude. And thank you as well. I should just kind of end this by saying that the name of this podcast oh, yeah. is entirely attributed to Stephen Battelle because when uh, Kerrang yeah. finished and I was looking for what to do next, I set up a very short-lived website and I was thinking of the name and I texted you, didn't I? I was like, what should I call the site? And you were like, what do you mean? It's obvious, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Life, Life in the, in the stocks. stocks. Yeah. So when it came time to doing this podcast, Again, the name just didn't even need to be considered. It was never in any doubt that it was going it's, to be called it's this. It's too perfect, isn't it? It is. Because it is your life. And especially in this context, because I'm interviewing people about life. Yeah. And also the interview scenario is kind of like for some people the you know, the uncomfortable stockades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just works on several levels. I think if you ever do this visually, mm-hmm. maybe... People should be in stocks. I love it. <laughs> Stephen, it's a pleasure, my friend. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. I spent a life burning bridges, but always good cars. Because too many bridges lead to too many wars. Built my own psychic prison with no windows or doors. To escape with the consequence to capture my thoughts even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.